Hello and welcome to Folio the Podcast. This is Ingrid Velasquez. In this series, we are going to bring you insight, tips, and helpful advice to help you design better, build more efficiently, and grow your design and build firm. Today, we will be learning about two topics, uh, differing site conditions and change orders. So today, we again have Wally Zimwong. He is a lawyer for the real estate and construction industries. He has successfully litigated hundreds of cases and has counseled clients all over the country on developing and constructing highways, multifamily apartment buildings, professional and collegiate sports stadiums, schools, and uniform and He has tried numerous cases to verdict and boasts an undefeated jury trial record, which is pretty awesome. Folio is a product specification and data management software for the design and build industry. Our software streamlines the creation of product schedules, purchasing, invoicing, creating documents, and more. If you'd like to know more, please go to folio.com. That's F-O-H-L-I-O dot com. Again, that's F-O-H-L-I-O dot com. Thanks, Ingrid. Uh, for those of you that... Uh, didn't join us last time. Um, the session last time we touched on uh, payment terms and conditions, scope, uh, price, and time in a contract. And today we're going to talk about differing site conditions and change orders. And these concepts uh, uh, relate very closely to the uh, topics that we discussed in the last session. And for those of you that joined in the last session, you may recall me mentioning that it's critically important that you get the scope of work uh, in your contract correctly. You need to indicate to your client just exactly what work is being performed, and your client needs to know exactly what work uh, you are agreeing to perform for the price that the client is paying you. And I said that's important for a number of reasons, and one of which, which Ingrid touched on, is that clients by far overwhelmingly come to me after a dispute arises. And if they had spent time with me before and were aware of how critical it is to uh, define specifically the scope as best as possible, they could save themselves, they would have saved themselves a lot of money on me and probably would have ended up getting paid uh, and they wouldn't even have to come to me in the first place. And I think Ingrid actually brought up another good point uh, as, as to why it's important to understand contract language and understand how these common clauses on a construction project work is, is in avoiding disputes uh, is, is important. Um, you know, we all want to avoid, uh, unfortunately, clients want to avoid me, but it seems like they can't help themselves. Um, you know, and uh, lawyers are expensive and all that, and we're not trying to make you an expert. One thing I think that Ingrid touched on is it's, it is important that everybody is on the same page because at the end of the project, you don't want to be dealing with a client that has a bunch of claims. You want to be dealing with a happy client and you want to be dealing with someone that uh, comes back to you and wants to hire you again and someone that you foster um, a, a long-term relationship with. So how do you do that? Um, how do you accomplish all that? And when, where do we see um, areas where that isn't accomplished or where people leave really unhappy and angry at each other. And even if they don't uh, go and seek an attorney, we see it in the area of what are called differing site conditions and change orders. And, and both of those uh, concepts are closely related. 
So basically, when we talk in terms of differing site conditions, is what happens when, if you're a contractor, uh, you're performing work on a project, and you encounter conditions in the field that differ from the, the drawings that you were provided or what was represented to you as to the conditions being, or something that you just couldn't reasonably anticipate encountering on a project. That's known as differing site conditions. And whether or not you will, and, and differing site conditions, and why it's the change orders concept is, is related to it, is when a contractor encounters differing site conditions and the work that it is required to perform is different than the work that it anticipated when it presented its proposal, that's going to lead to change orders. It's going to lead to change orders, and it's important that those the change orders get paid from the contractor's perspective because uh, it could be the difference between a profitable or unprofitable job, and then the change orders are, are significant enough. You know, you're talking about uh, mission-critical payments that could continue the life of a contractor. And then from the owner's perspective, there's nothing the owner hates more then the contractor that comes to them and says, you know, I have all these changes to the contract. Uh, I couldn't have an anticipated uh, uh, encountering these, and it's going to cost you 25% more to complete your project. So, so both, both parties have a lot at stake in change orders, and it's, it's a fertile ground for dispute, and it's a, it's a really fertile ground you know, for, for emotional disputes as well. So depending on, no matter whose side you're on, how do you, how do you understand the concepts and how do you avoid the disputes? Well, the first thing that you need to understand is you got to understand if the contract addresses when a, a contractor will be compensated for conditions that are encountered that differ from what was uh, presented to them to, to prepare their bid what was indicated on the drawings prepared by the design professional or just what could be reasonably anticipated. And the change condition concept varies from project to project, but, but in all projects, there is the potential for these change conditions. You know, if you're talking about uh, a modest residential home renovation, a, a change condition could be you take down a wall and you did not anticipate or reasonably anticipate there being sort of load bearing beams. And that requires you to, um, engage the services of an engineer and then also perform all sorts of additional additional work to to compensate for the loss of that load-bearing partition uh, and that wasn't reflected on the drawings or other documents that you were given um, in order to prepare your bid and then on on the larger end of the spectrum it could be uh, where I often see it with my clients who are performing heavy highway work and they're going to dig uh, some deep trench into the ground and they encounter rock instead of just ordinary soil and they're forced to do blasting and a considerable amount more excavation than, than they anticipated. Both of those concepts are, are, are examples of change conditions. And the first place we're going to look is to see if the contract um, covers uh, what will happen if the change in conditions are encountered? If, if you have a contract or you're or looking to draft a contract that, uh, th that you're working on uh, and it doesn't have a change conditions clause, it, it probably should. You probably should uh, set forth before the relationship if the parties are, you know, if you're going to get paid, is the owner going to be paid for change conditions? And, and if so, 
what conditions are uh, going to be paid for. Generally speaking, uh, in a contract where an owner agrees to pay a contractor uh, for change conditions, a owner will agree to pay uh, a contractor for two types of change conditions. First are those conditions that differ materially from the conditions that were disclosed to the contractor at the time of bidding. So uh, to use the example of the residential project, an architect prepares drawings. The drawings don't indicate that the wall that needs to be removed is a load-bearing partition, and the contractor goes out and discovers it's a load-bearing partition. That would be the type of uh, scenario that you would, you would encounter there where if there was a change condition clause, uh, the, the owner would, would uh, have to compensate a uh, contractor for that work. The other uh, type of change conditions is, is a little bit more subjective, uh, which are, is the conditions that are unusual, unknown, or unanticipated. Now, now what, what could that be? Well, I'll give you one sort of esoteric and, and kind of wild example, but, but one that actually is real. Uh, I, had a, I had a project that I was working on in Philadelphia, and uh, Philadelphia, like many cities on the East Coast, is an older city, and they were building a townhome community. They started uh, excavating, and they started to uh, find human remains. And, and what had happened was that uh, this land had, had gone back to the founding of the city, and at one point, there was a church. Uh, over a hundred years ago that was located on this property and uh, as was the custom at the time is that many of the parishioners were were buried right next to the church and then the church uh, was abandoned and it moved and, and um, those that were wealthy enough to have gravestones those those bodies were interned to another location but those parishioners that were buried in sort of the potter's field of of the uh, uh, of the church grounds, their, their remains were left and they were encountered by the excavation contractor. So what do you have to do? Well, you know, you have to respect those remains and, and do your best to, to uh, follow the procedures that are in customs that are necessary to uh, remove them in a careful manner and, and, and place them respectfully in a, in, a, in a proper cemetery burial ground, even though they were, they were hundreds of years old. That would be something that was unusual, un, unknown, or uh, unanticipated. That's, a, that's an example of that. Cl clearly on the architect's drawings uh, or the uh, civil engineer's drawings, there wasn't any indication that uh, you can anticipate bones to the ground. You, you could argue you could have anticipated certain geological formations or the fact that there may have been an existing foundation from a prior building there, being that it's in the city. But uh, nobody really could, could, could reasonably anticipate uh, uncovering human remains and, and why that that would be the uh, basis for a, uh, a change order is that you know the project has to stop and the authorities have to come in and needs to be investigated so it's taking longer and there's additional costs with getting the, the specialized folks out to the site uh, to, to take care of those remains so that's that's the first uh, two, there are the two types of examples that if you have a change conditions clause in the contract um, that's when you'll be compensated if you encounter uh, those two types of conditions. Now, there are many contracts that don't have change condition clauses. And when I'm representing an owner and I'm asked to draft a contract, I'm trying to shift uh, as much risk down to the contractor. 
And I don't want my owner having to pay for a bunch of change orders at the end of the project uh, when they've paid an architect to prepare drawings. And how do you do that? Well, and, and on the flip side, if you're a contractor and you see these, these site investigations um, and disclaimer clauses in the contract, you, you should be aware that if you encounter conditions that are different from the drawings or different than what you could have anticipated, if you have the other end of the spectrum type of contract that in, includes a site investigation or a disclaimer, then you need to know that you're buying what you don't know and you might not be entitled to additional costs or additional time if you encounter conditions in the field that differ than what you, what you could have reasonably foreseen or anticipated. So when we talk about site investigation and we talk about disclaimer clauses, what are we looking for? Well, a common type of site investigation clause will say that the contractor has investigated the site, they've had full access to the site, and they've made themselves familiar with the site so that they're not going to come back and say, well, I didn't know that there was the load, I didn't know the load bearing wall was there. If you have a site investigation clause and you represent the owner, you're gonna say, listen, it gave you a chance to investigate this fully. If you had any questions, you were the expert. If you had any questions or uh, you, you needed to take measurements or calculations or you weren't sure about certain things, then you had your opportunity prior to entering into this contract and you've, uh, you, you, you've in fact affirmed in the contract that you've investigated the site and you were satisfactory with its, with its conditions. And then there'll also be either in a separate clause or, or in the same area of the contract disclaimer saying that, hey, we're, we're not making any representations as to the completeness of the architect's plans. Um, if you have, if, if, if you're concerned about that, then do your own investigation. Um, we can't promise that the architect has picked everything up. And don't come to us with change orders uh, if uh, you encounter something that's different from the plans or different than what you anticipated to be there when you took down a wall. Those are the types of clauses that I always put into my contracts when I'm representing an owner. Because I'm trying to limit the risk that the contractor come back and say, hey, I, I didn't know that load-bearing wall was there. I can go back to the contractor and say, what are you talking about? You signed a contract that said you investigated the site. You also signed a contract that said that uh, the architect's drawings were not deemed to be complete and perfect. So, And you also signed a contract that said you're not going to seek a change order for that. So go pound sand. Um, so you need to be aware of that because if you're, if you're a contractor that's receiving a contract like that, you're assuming a significantly uh, higher amount of risk there. And when you do assume that additional risk, you're going to want to make sure you price the project accordingly. You can't price it the same way that you price another job saying, well, if I encounter something, well, I'm just going to get a change order like I do on other jobs. No, you're not. So uh, just like anything else, just like any other uh, commercial transaction you have to price in that risk premium. So be aware of that. Anything that says that you are investigating the site or that you're taking the site as is, where is, and any sort of disclaimer that, uh, that uh, the drawings aren't full and complete, if you're on the contractor's end uh, or the person that's receiving that contract from an owner or a higher tier contractor, that's definitely a red flag for you. You're gonna wanna talk to somebody about what that means and what you might uh, do to, to mitigate the severity 
of that uh, of those clauses because I like I said it's a significant amount of risk that you're assuming by your contract when you sign a contract with those uh, disclaimers. So now that you have an understanding of when and when you might not be able to recover additional cost and additional time for change orders, you move on to the, uh, the change order clause. And it's, it's all, it's just like the, uh, the, the, the main uh, contract itself, when we're looking at change order clauses, we're asking who, what, who, when, and how of change order claims. As a designer, you know how difficult it is collaborating with other people on a project. Whether you're a smaller interior design firm working with outside contractors or an architect in a global firm working with another team, let's face it, emails just don't work. Try Folio. Our collaborative software allows you to work with contractors, vendors, purchasers, owners, and whoever else you need to work with so you can deliver projects faster. I know what you're thinking. Doesn't that mean they can also see proprietary information? Don't worry. With Folio, you can decide to the very smallest detail what your collaborators can have access to and whether they can edit the data or not. Get your free trial today at folio.com. That's F-O-H-L-I-O.com. Again, that's F-O-H-L-I-O.com. Get your free trial and change the way you collaborate on design and build projects today. So you want to find out who is authorized to direct changes, what are your deadlines to submit change order claims, and how must those claims be submitted. And, and, and this process is going to become more sophisticated uh, based upon the size of your project. I think if you, if you were to put this on a graph, uh, the, 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 as the pr if the price represented the vertical access and the complexity of the change order process represented uh, the horizontal uh, part of the axis, you, you would see it move in, in a linear fashion. As the price of the project, the cost of the project went up, uh, it would move correspondingly with the uh, complexity of, of the uh, change order process. But it's nonetheless important to understand it and that even on a smaller project, a basic, you know, it could just be a, a home renovation project, you might not need to have something terribly sophisticated but you need to have something in there that says, if, I, uh, if I'm going to request an additional cost, how do I go about doing that? We already talked about the what. What will I be entitled to? And when will I be entitled to the additional cost? And then you move to the, to the how am I going to get paid for that? And, and that's important. It's, 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 it goes back to what Ingrid said that everybody get on the same page here before the relationship is completed so that there are no surprises at the end of the project and everybody leaves happy. So I'm going to talk about it from, from sort of the most sophisticated type of clause you might see, and we can kind of walk it back as to what you might want to put in there um, if, if you're working on a smaller project or how to address a change order clause on a smaller project. And, and so the first is, who is authorized to direct uh, a change order? Now, again, on a smaller project, uh, that, 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 that question 
sort of is, is, is a rhetorical one because you're probably dealing primarily with the owner of the project. And there, there may just be one of them. And it may be a small company or just a, a, an individual that owns the project. And it's pretty clear who's authorized to direct changes. As you move up the sophistication in the project, however, there's often different people on a project that are authorized or appear to be authorized to direct changes in the work. There are foremen, there are superintendents, there are project managers, uh, all of which have some level of authority that's been granted to them by their uh, employer. Um, and, and so it needs to be clear who, who exactly has the authority to direct me to do something different than what the contract calls for, or uh, who is it that has authority to say that they will pay for something? Because if it's some some Joe Schmo out on the project, and they they off they direct you or authorize you to do work, and that person didn't have any real authority to do that, they just pretended that they were important. You're going to be out of luck because the owner may come back and say, "Well, I never told you to do that. I never authorized that." And that person that that told you to do it isn't authorized as well. So it's important to to determine in the contract who it is within the client organization that is authorized to, to direct changes and to approve changes, okay? Now, the next is, if you have a change and you've, you've, you've encountered something that you believe you're entitled to under the contract to additional compensation or additional time to complete your work, when do you have to notify your client of the claim? And many contracts will say, it's as short as 48 hours. The AIA, uh, I think it's just been changed to 14 business uh, or calendar days, but some claims are uh, still permitted within 21 days. But it can be as, as short as, like I said, 48 hours. When you encounter a condition, if you're encountering a condition, like we just talked about, that is different than the drawings or different than when you could, what you could have reasonably anticipated, and that condition is going to cause you to incur additional costs and additional time, and you intend to seek compensation for that from your client, you need to be aware that certain contracts give you a deadline to advise your client of that. Don't wait to the end of the project to submit a bunch of change orders and say, oh yeah, three months ago, I encountered the load-bearing wall. Here's the change order for that. When there's a contract that you signed that says you need to present at least notice that you intend to seek compensation. You might not have all your numbers ready yet within 48 hours because that's an enforceable provision. And when I'm, again, depending on whose side I'm on, if I'm representing the owner, I am putting very strong language in my contract that says, if you miss the deadline, you waive the claim. And a court's going to enforce that. Those of you that participated in the first seminar know that the court's going to look to that written contract. It's going to use the plain terms and meanings of the contract as to what the party's intended. And if it says waiver, the court's going to say, hey, you're out of luck. You waive the claim. Forget about who said what, when, and where on the project or what you were promised. That's not coming in. You have a written contract. So be aware. How long do you have to submit a at least a notice that you intended to each intend to seek additional compensation. You may have additional time to actually submit your supporting documentation and submit uh, how much it's going to cost. Often, 
And it's also important for your owner. Your owner may say, you know what, maybe we don't want to do it, or maybe we don't want to pay that cost. And in that case, it's important for you not to do any work, not to go out of pocket for any work until your, until your client is aware of it and, uh, and until your client agrees to pay for it. Again, it's as much as a relationship tool as it is a, a sound business practice as well. The final thing that we talk about in change orders is, you know, you've, you've presented notice of your claim that you intend to seek additional compensation. But does your contract say how you must support your claim? What you must do to document your entitlement to uh, the amount of money that you're seeking? And again, I, I put it on the, uh, the axis that I just described. The more complex, the larger the project, the more complex the level of data that you're going to be required to uh, present to your client in order to uh, in order to get paid. You know, on government projects, what we're talking about, you know, potential change conditions that could could be in the hundreds of thousands, maybe even the millions of dollars. The the minutia that that go into substantiating that claims those claims is is you could fill four-inch binder for one claim. It's, it's remarkable. And, you know, for, for a smaller project, you may just have to, you just may have to back it up with the, the time and the material uh, through timesheets and the material that you purchased from your supply house to perform that work. But it's important to, to understand how is it going to be documented and how are you going to submit that. And it's always been my experience, regardless of what your contract says, the more documentation you can provide in support of your claim, the more likely either is voluntarily going to be paid, but in the unfortunate situation where you have to go to court, the court's gonna, gonna look much more, or the arbitrators are look much more favorable on your claim, the more it's documented. And um, you know, one of the things that I've, I've noticed for, with, with Folio is it, it does provide some, some opportunity for you to, to uh, uh, capture these costs. You know, I, 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 one, one of the things that I always chuckle at is that when a contractor, if I'm on the other side, a contractor's presenting a claim and they, they hand me a bunch of, uh, my client, a bunch of receipts from Home Depot or Lowe's. Well, that, that's not going to do me, much, that doesn't do you any good. Uh, but if you can somehow, uh, you know, use those tools that are available to you and Folio is a great way to start is that in, in documenting your costs, keeping that data in real time, keeping uh, track of the communication with your client, keeping track of who told you to, to, um, to proceed, who authorized the change, when they authorized the change, and how they did it. The, the software like that is going to go a long way, and you're going to be well ahead of, even I think, your client in, in documenting and being able to substantiate change orders and ultimately getting paid for uh, work that you, you should be paid for. Uh, and oftentimes are entitled to, um, and I see that all the time where clients are entitled to changes. It's clear that this work was not within the scope of the work. It falls within the definition of change in the contract. And then when it comes to document the, uh, the quantum, as we say, uh, for the change order, their records are a mess. So what good is that? You know, you, you've performed all this work. You're otherwise entitled to it, and you have no way to substantiate uh, the cost that you incur, um, and and you may end up getting nothing or or or, or only a percentage of what you're entitled to, um, and, and that's true even when uh, your client agrees to pay. Is agree like I said, I, I 
I often, as a litigator, I, I often look at it from the perspective of, uh, okay, what am I going to need to go to court and what, what you might be entitled to when you go to court. But um, that's just true when the client says, fine, I agree, this is a change, I'll pay you. Please, you know, present your, 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 your data to substantiate your costs. And if you can't do that, you know, that, that, that's a shame because you, 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 there isn't a dispute and there's not a reason to get a lawyer involved and the client's agreeing to pay you and you, you, you can't substantiate your costs for your client. And I think it also just, just makes you look sloppy as well if you're looking to develop a long-term relationship with clients. So that's all I have with uh, differing site conditions and change orders. Uh, and I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. Being an architect or an interior designer can often feel like it's all about the deadlines and not the design. They also didn't tell you about the days you'd be spending staring at endless spreadsheets looking for that one material you used that one time that you want to use again for your current project. Trifolio. Our centralized material library keeps track of all the items you ever used and has a powerful search function so you can find your tried and trusted products and reuse them in your current project with a simple click. You will cut down drastically on the boring tasks and spend more time on design. Get your free trial today at folio.com. That's F-O-H-L-I-O.com. Again, that's F-O-H-L-I-O.com. Get your free trial and get back to what you really love doing, designing a better world. For Misty. Um... Okay, um, how about a time for the client to respond to your change request? So because um, there's going to be a clause in your contract about, um, you know, within 48 hours you have to, you have to produce a change order request. Um, what about for the client? How long do they have to respond to that or how can you break that into your contract? Well, yeah, I think, I think it's a good idea. Uh, it's a good point that you bring up. Um, if that's an issue for you uh, and, and it, it, you think that the client's going to delay uh, in getting back to you, uh, you know, it should be addressed in the contract. I, I, I actually had, and it's funny you bring it up, I, I actually had a major case involving a building at the University of Pennsylvania where a, a large portion of the case was just that scenario um, where the client, my client, was submitting drawings to an engineer, and the engineer was just sitting on them for weeks at a time. And these weeks and weeks and weeks started adding up because they needed to get the drawings approved by the engineer back in order for them to proceed with their work. And, and that was a very sophisticated uh, project and, and, and contract. And, and um, you know, there wasn't anything in there that, that said how long the, the engineer actually had uh, to, uh, to respond to these, uh, requests to approve drawings. And uh, probably one of the reasons why, it, why it ended up with me. Uh, so I, I think absolutely if, if it warrants it, uh, it's, it's a great concept is that to the extent that I'm going to be requesting, uh, I would say really approval for anything. Um, go ahead and put a time frame on there. Um, and then if the client takes too long, then it would automatically result in an extension of time or, or, or additional compensation to you. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really good question. Uh, okay. Oh, here we go. 
So from Ahmad, what happens if some of the work or materials of the change order are not listed in the breakdown price of the contract? How should the client evaluate such change orders? Well, you know, I, 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 if I understand the question correctly, uh, it's uh, if, if, the, if the basis for the quantum of the change order is not set forth in, in a schedule of values, as we say in the industry, um, how do you evaluate it? Well, you know, if it's a change order, it's probably not going to be set forth in the schedule of values. So you're going to have to evaluate it based upon the data that is provided by your customer in order to uh, substantiate its cost. Um, you know, I think that whether or not there's any sort of uh, link to the underlying uh, scope breakdown is of less importance as, as to whether, A, they're even entitled to it in any event based upon the language in the contract, and if they are, whether the data they have to substantiate their cost that is submitted in conjunction with their change order makes any sense. Okay. And we have a question from Diane. She is a designer. Uh, so the contractor is presenting their contract. If it lacks what has just been discussed, do we ask for the clause? Um, do we write it ourselves and submit it as an addition to the contract? I'm looking for protocol from the contract slash receiving end. This is a really good question. Well, I think you just got to go back, you know, and ask and, and ask uh, your 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 contractor to include it and and have them amend the contract. And if they say, well, you know, we don't have this, and, and the reason I say that is, you know, well, I shouldn't I shouldn't make assumptions. I think I think the last the last industry that uses fax machines on a regular basis uh, is the construction industry. So I shouldn't assume that they have all their documents in Word, and it shouldn't take it shouldn't be too difficult for them to amend their contract to include that clause. But to the extent that they don't have their contract in a word-based format that's not easily uh, uh, amended uh, or revised or they can share the file with you to do it, sure, you know, put it, at, put it as an addendum uh, to the contract. Uh, obviously, make sure that they sign off on it. Make sure it doesn't conflict with uh, uh, the other provisions of the contract as well or have some language in there that says it supersedes it. But uh, Certainly, you know, like I said, there's got to be, I highly recommend that, is, is having some sort of protocol to deal with what is going to be compensable and, and how you're going to be compensated. Okay. All right. Um, when we have a design and build contract, what is the strategy with change orders or claims? Um, Ahmad, are you asking about? Yeah, uh, I, well, I could answer that. You know, if if you got a design build contract, you know, the the, the concept of design build is is that uh, the owner's not going to have any change orders because you're designing it and you're building it. So uh, they're really, you know, it's it, that's I, I guess the theory of design build. Now there 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 mm -hmm. there, there there are certainly examples of. Um, even when there's a design build, uh, where there could be change orders, w where that would would occur would be w when the owner directs you to change the design to such an extent that it's that it's additional. But 
generally speaking, the, the theory of design build is that the, the, the design builder assumes the risk of and responsibility of designing the project to meet the owner's intended result and then to build it within the budget that it has presented to the owner. So, um, you know, in a design build scenario, they're, they're, if you're the design builder, you, 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 should, you better know that before you get into a contract, a design build contract, that it's going to be very difficult for you to come back and say, or impossible to say, well, I, I, you know, I, I, it's not a situation where something on the drawings could, could differ than what you, uh, you build because you're responsible for the drawings. Um, like I said, there could be situations where the owner tells you to change the basis for the design. That's going to be an area where you're going to be entitled to a change order. Um, or, or if the existing conditions, if it's design build of a new project. But, but even that is going to be more of a challenge because the, the owner is going to turn around and say, it's design build, you own it. And, and you should have made yourself familiar with the site conditions. Uh, before you prepare your design, so don't come to me and saying that you know the the soil or the surrounding neighborhood or whatever it is was of uh, such a character that uh, your design had to change. So in design build, I think it, it's really limited to those situations where it's it's the owner that is is driving a a, a change in the concept from what was uh, originally anticipated. Oh, I do have a question about this. Um, so when it's a design build contract, um, basically the key here is that um, you are assuming most of the risk or all of the risk here. Um, but going back to what you said about um, different site conditions that um, it's not a reasonable thing for you to know that the conditions are materially different from what you're expecting. How do you deal sure. with that? So, so sure. So um, when we talk about uh, something like design build, um, that is what's known as what a project delivery method. And there are several types of different project delivery methods. Design build is, is a popular one, but by far the most popular and, and really, um, what my presentation is eyed towards, uh, uh, geared towards, is design, bid, build. That, that's your common standard procedure for procuring and delivering a construction project. There is an entity that designs the project, the design professional, the engineer or the architect. They design it, they prepare a set of drawings based upon the, the owner's desires. Then the contractor, who has to build it, bids, submits a proposal based upon the design. Design, second part is bid. And then there's the building. The contractor, if the bid is accepted, undertakes the responsibility to build the architect or engineer's design with its forces or with the forces of subcontractors. So most of the concepts that I'm talking about are going to be mainly applicable to those design bid build um, scenarios. It really is, you know, if you're talking about the project delivery method of design build, what you're doing is you're collapsing those first two is that the, the, uh, the contractor takes on, the, there is no architect 
or engineer that that is separate from the contractor that prepares a set of drawings that indicate the owner's intended desires for a contractor to build it. If you're a design builder, the owner comes to you and says, here's what I want and how much is it going to cost? And I don't have any drawings and you figure it out and you undertake that responsibility. So it's a fundamentally different uh, relationship uh, if you're a design build contractor uh, than if you're just an ordinary contractor that is building uh, and submitting a bid off a set of drawings that are prepared by a party. Okay, all right, thank you. Um, any more questions from the crowd? We do have a few more minutes. All right, I think we are all good for today. Um, anything else you wanted to add, um, to add, Wally? No, that's it. Like I said, uh, at, at the conclusion of the previous uh, uh, presentation, all, all my information, my email address is the best way to get in touch with me. It's at the first slide, Wally at uh, zimalonglaw.com and probably on the Folio website. Instagram, Facebook, all that, you know, you can take a look at it, LinkedIn. But as far as contacting me, email is the best. And if you think of any questions that uh, come up based upon what I talked about today, just uh, feel free to give me a holler. Okay. And you also know how to get in touch with us. Um, just go to folio.com. We have a live chat. Um, we do have a live chat, and that is monitored all the time. So we are going to be able to get back to you pretty quickly. Okay, well, thank you everyone for coming today and thank you, Wally. That was, again, super duper informative. Um, we will be sending out um, the recorded version of today's webinar. And, all right, Diane, we are also looking forward to next week. Thank you, have a good day, everyone. This podcast is brought to you by Folio. Folio is a product specification and data management software for the design and build industry. Our software streamlines the creation of product schedules, purchasing, invoicing, creating documents, and more. If you'd like to know more, please go to folio.com. That's F-O-H-L-I-O.com. Again, that's F-O-H-L-I-O.com.